Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Reagan. My name's Victor. And welcome to Sanctified-ish, conversations with pastors who have not figured it out. And man, I feel like absolute death today. Can I tell you why? Tell us. So I'm now getting to the age where like all my friends are starting to get married and have kids. You're getting and old. I'm, I'm getting old, dude. I'm getting old. You're and up now there. I have friends who have half baths <laughs> and I, because all my friends started to get married, they started to do bachelor parties and stuff like that. So I went to a bachelor party with some of my friends this past weekend and I'm like, just two nights. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. Nothing overly crazy, but back to back nights staying out past 10 PM. Wow. I have felt the physical consequences of that three days later. Wow. Like my mind feels gross. My body feels gross. I, I can't physically stay up past 10 PM anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's what turning 26 does to you. <laughs> well, it, it, it makes me nervous because we have like we have summer camp coming up for our church. And so you're, it's like two, it's two it's straight over. weeks. It's, over. it's two straight weeks of being up at 2 a.m. And I'm like, uh, the student pastor for our church, like he, he trains his body like a month <laughs> leading up to this. And he's like a grown man. And so I'm like, man, do I have to do what he does now? Mm-hmm. Like, is that, is that where I'm at? I can't just like, I have to stretch now. Um, he will he will literally send an email out to everyone who's volunteered for those two yeah. weeks and he'll say, hey, guys, no joke. A month out, you need to start walking like two miles a day. You need to start going to bed way later, waking up yeah. really early because Your diet if you needs don't to get worse, yeah. <laughs> right. Start eating Uncrustables and like yeah. Caesar salad with croutons and lettuce. And just like prepare yourself, but, but come to camp. We're so excited to have you. We want you. We want you. Oh man. Yeah. Get, get excited. Um, and man, so it's just, I feel like death. I know my body's going to feel like death for the next month or so. And we have a guest today where every time we bring him on, we just seem to talk about death and judgment. Tyler Burton, welcome back to the show. (laughs) That was impressive. We started <laughs> you. this episode you. and you said, guys, you. don't worry about it. I've got the intro. And you just, you did that. I watched that happen. I did it. Yeah. I did it. It's, you see how it's made. It's art at this point. It's art. And last so time well you were on. Out, so well planned. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's very, yeah. very choreographed. Tyler yeah. texted me earlier today and he's like, so what's the plan? And I was like, what do you mean? I'll see you at 530. I just, we'll see you then, bro. I thought we were talking about something else, but we're talking about Ananias. So, well, and like, okay. So for for those of you who listen, like our, our show is planned out topic wise, like six months in advance. Like we have a list of things we want to talk about, but 99% of the time, Victor and I come on here. It's like, so man, what do you want to talk about? That Google Doc is only opened when we create it. Other than yeah. that, we never we never use it. It's, when, <laughs> when we say conversations with pastors, we, we mean conversations, mm-hmm. dude. This is like a thousand percent off the cuff. Off so, the cuff. It's real. It's genuine. Yeah. It is yeah. one of the podcasts I'm subscribed to and listen. And that's not just to hear my own voice. It's because this is actually really great. Well, so. th- this is good. This is actually really good for me because I want to do some research. Um What's your preferred podcast listening platform? Uh, Spotify. Because Spotify. I'm a normal person. That's why. Yeah. Wow. Um, Reagan, you I, too? Yeah. You listen to podcasts on Spotify? I only listen to our podcast. I'm a faithful listener. Are <laughs> 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 you weirdo? I'm on, Spot- I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm oh, on, you, you go I, to all the platforms. 
I'm on iHeartRadio, dude. Um, <laughs> Do you Amazon podcast. The episode yeah. on every different platform to get a listen. Is that what it is? So honestly, I just skip through Victor's part. I just get wherever, <laughs> just right wherever my voice. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't need to hear Victor's. Uh huh. And then I'm like, okay, how'd that sound? Cool, nothing heretical. All right, all right, we're good, it. we're good. Seal yeah, of yeah. approval, man. That's why yeah. we have so many listens on on uh, Amazon podcasts. It's just it's me, all man. you. It's, it's, it's just, all you. It's just me. Uh, yeah. Well, today, yeah, like Reagan said, we're joined by Tyler, good buddy of mine, host of 15 Minute Theology, which is, man, a podcast that is launching soon. Um, Y'all, two weeks. June that's 15th. crazy. That's freaky that I now June 1st, I got off a plane two days ago from Europe and I'm like, I have a lot of work to do. Holy smokes. I got a lot <laughs> yeah, of you have a do. podcast to launch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, June 15th, guys. First three episodes. Uh, we're excited. It's going to be fun to launch. So before we dive in to what we're going to talk about today, I figure we'll put the 15 minute theology kind of bump up front for the people who like dip out halfway through the episode. So give us like, give us the, the pitch. What is 15 minute theology? What are you talking about and why should people listen? Yeah, essentially it's a podcast covering the central truths of the Christian faith in somewhere, hopefully possibly around 15 minutes. Uh, and the goal of it really is to take the big, beautiful ideas of scripture and have them condensed into spaces where people can listen to it on a drive uh, while they're on the train, while they're going out for a walk. Um, mm. The goal is really for it to be both comprehensive. We're dealing with every major doctrine in the Christian faith and accessible. So it's we're, we're talking about normal things. No one's speaking Latin. Uh, it's just a conversation. And it's a conversation with people who are way smarter than me. So we're talking with legit theologians who spend their whole life studying, researching, teaching these things and can say, okay, here's the doctrine of immutability. Here's why it's important. And here's how it connects to the Christian life. Um, so that's essentially what we're doing. Um, I mean, we, we got some pretty awesome people coming on in this first season. So Dr. Mm. Ken Keithley, uh, Walter Strickland, uh, Matt Emerson from Oklahoma Baptist, uh, John Hammett. Like we have kind of this like robust group of people coming on. It's a little surprising. I didn't think this many people were going to want to be on it, uh, <laughs> but they did. Uh, and so it's it's really cool. It's really exciting. Uh, so 15 minute theology, June 15th. I I took a class from him at this past semester. He gave me a C. Tell him I said, "Hey, <laughs> <laughs> dude, he does that, man. Bro, you he sounded, does that. Yeah. You sounded angry, dude, dude. He literally he. I had to give a research proposal for him at the beginning of the semester. Oh, I remember. And this. I'm like, man, man, I'm not kidding. One sentence, and he gave me a 50 percent on it. And he just said, "This needs work." Yep. And like, <laughs> yep. And then like, here's how you should do it. And then I send it back and he's like, it still needs work. 50%. And I'm like, yep. all right, man. Um, they call him Hammett the hammer for a reason. Yeah, like, no, I got, he's tough. I get that. Great dude. Great guy. Loves the <laughs> Lord. Hard yeah. class, man. Yeah. Hard class. The worst well, grade yeah. I've ever gotten in seminary was, ha was Hammett. He just really, yeah. Oh yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. In theology one, um, theology two, I did better because I learned how to deal with him. But theology one, he destroyed me. Yeah, man, interesting. See, get degrees, man. Hey, amen. Here we are. Yeah. Um, we will put the link to fifteen minute theology down in the show notes, along with a snippet that Tyler wants to include. So y'all should go check it out. Let us know what you think. Leave a five star review, and uh, yeah, cool. Ananias is what we're talking about today. I didn't know that's what we were talking about today. 
Hold on. Can, Vic, before we even jump into that, let's set up why we're talking about Ananias here today. Yeah. Because like a couple of weeks ago, we uh, had a podcast on genealogies and just like the random lists in the Bible. And like, we got a lot of really positive feedback on that because there's so many things in the Bible that just seem lame or boring or like, we don't know why they're like there. Why? The purpose of why yeah. It's like Leviticus, Ananias, genealogy, stuff like that. And so like our goal with like even today's episode is to take like what seems to be a minute kind of weird story in the Bible and like, here's why this is awesome. Here's why it's here. Um, and our goal for these episodes is just for you to love the word of God more. Um, and for you to see the beauty behind some of these more obscure passages. So, um, with that, Tyler, man, we're going to take it away. Explain kind of like, what is this passage, man? Why is it here in the Bible? And most people probably don't know what Ananias is. So like, just d- dive a little bit into that, man. Yeah, I'll I'll just set it up, and then after I kind of set up the general, we'll we'll kind of hop in and go through some of the specifics. So beautiful. Um, Acts chapter four, towards the tail end, we see a description of what the church is. Uh, the description of what the church is is that everyone had everything in common. There was a beautiful unity and humility happening amongst the people of God, and it was this. We're watching from Acts one all the way through. God create, care for, and sustain his people. In Acts 4, we see almost a summary statement of how that's happening. Then in the beginning of Acts chapter 5, we see the word, but. So it's kind of like we've been going all the way here, and then it's like, hold on, something is happening. And so in Acts 5, we see this, this transition to a story that is now actually an example of something happening contrary to that unity of the people of God. And what essentially happens is there's this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias is the husband, Sapphira is the wife. You never know with these names. You just got to put that out there. So that's what's <laughs> happening, right? So fair, Ananias, fair. Sapphira. Uh, yeah. Ananias and Sapphira, like Priscilla Aquila. Who knows the husband is sometimes? Bro, you know what I mean? Like, wait, it's is, just, it, is it, is it, isn't Priscilla the husband? Priscilla's the wife. Look okay, at you. never mind. But they put her name right. first. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. all right, bro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You got it. Hey, C's get degrees. Let's do it. I got C's get degrees, man. Let's go. Don't listen to me. Please Let's continue. Go. Yeah, let's go. All right. So Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, Ananias yeah. and Sapphira see what's happening amongst the people of God, that everyone had everything in common. There's actually people selling property to give to the church for the use of the church. So this is in Jerusalem, these are wealthy benefactors who want to give towards the movement of God because they're a part of it and also to aid the poor, right? So there's a heavy mercy ministry that's happening here and giving of selves in order to do so. Now, Ananias and Fire see what's happening and they sell their piece of property, but instead of actually giving over the full amount of the property like everybody else was doing, they kept a piece back for themselves. Right. So there's a, there's a little bit of a conspiracy happening between a husband and wife in order to deceive the church and to keep some wealth for themselves. So here's what happens in verse three. So they bring it to Peter to bring this offering for mercy ministry for the church. Verse three. Here's what Peter says. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the lands? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Mm. Verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. So that's what happened. Ananias lies to God, lies to the church, Peter denounces this judgment on him, and he drops dead. Uh, that's the first part of the story. 
let's go into that a little bit because there's a little bit of craziness that goes down in the second part of the story too. Um, yeah. But that's essentially kind of what's happening in this passage. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I, I kind of want to dive into this to start because I think that context brings up a popular belief within the church that we see. I think, especially within student culture and, and young adult culture, is that the God of the Old Testament was kind of like this God who would make armies drop dead, who would send these ten plagues, who would, yeah. you know, he was this vengeful, just, righteous God who would do whatever it took to make sure that, like, Israel was protected. And that sometimes meant violence, right? And so we see this picture of God in the Old Testament. And then the New Testament happens. Jesus comes, he lives the perfect life, he dies, and then it's like grace and mercy, and we get to, like, skip through like the dandelion fields and just like with a big smile on our face because we don't have any consequences for our sin anymore. And these are like the two like broad assumptions of the testaments. So could you speak a little bit to how God is the same yesterday, tomorrow, and today? Because I think what this passage shows us is that post Jesus having died and been resurrected and ascended is still a just sovereign God who cares mm. deeply about when he has sinned against. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you brought up kind of like the modern day Marcionite heresy, right? Marcion said that the Old Testament God's different than the New Testament God. Like these are two different books, two different gods. They're not the same thing. We worship them differently, right? Like, and we very easily can adopt that into ourselves today. What's unique about this passage is actually we see an example of what you brought up, Victor, that God will do anything to care for his people and God will do anything Mm. to protect his people. Um, Parallel this passage with Joshua 7. So Joshua 7, the people of God have been taken out of Exodus, uh, out of Egypt through the Exodus. They've been in the wandering period. They're following their mediator, Moses, into the promised land. Moses dies. They follow Joshua, the new mediator, now into the promised land. And as soon as the covenant people of God are in the promised land, in chapter 7, we see that Achan uh, actually does a very similar sin to this. He uh, takes a portion of the proceeds from the um, uh, the wealth from the, their recent battle. I can't remember who with, but they just had some uh, plunder from the recent battle. And he keeps some for himself. So rather than contributing it to the place he was going to contribute to, worship, mercy ministry, things like that, keeps them for himself. And then... He drops dead. Uh, God has judgment on him as well. So here in the New Testament, now we have the covenant people of God. We are following our mediator, Jesus, out of Egypt via the wilderness into the promised land. We are the covenant people of God following him into this new promised land he has given us. And what we have here is an early example, similar to Joshua 7, of God caring for and protecting and purifying his church, purifying his church from sin acting as a holy and just God that will take care of sin appropriately. Uh, But notice that what's happening here is not just Ananias lying. Yes, Ananias is lying. There is a sin of Ananias lying. His his wife also lies later on. That's very much happening. And a lot of the commentaries I read on this, like that's where they zeroed in, but they never really get to why, why is this intense of an activity happening? Um, it's happening because of what's happening in verse three, that this is actually a satanic attack happening against the people of God, right? Satan is attempting to now infiltrate, to, to harm the people of God via this lie, hmm. right? And so God is actually walking in fatherly protection of his people against 
the the activity of Satan to upend and harm his people. So God is the same through all of that. He, he's the same God who was loving, wrathful, and just in Joshua 7 as he is now in Acts chapter 5. He's the same God, like you said yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. Ben, I can I can get behind that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But dude, they lied. It's like, I lie all the time. Um, I lie to Victor every day when I tell him his hair looks good. Like Thanks. I... Thank you. You don't I, tell me every day that my hair looks good. You don't tell me that. I'd like to hear it a little bit more, actually. Hey, you, you look great today, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah, it. You look really good. You better that watch sea yourself. Salt, that sea salt spray is looking fantastic. That stuff is great. Um, mm-hmm. But, man, it's like, dude, it's a lie. Like... Yeah. It's it's not like he murdered anybody. It's not like he did anything like that serious. So like he lied and then God killed him. Man, yeah. with somebody hearing that, how how can we worship a God that would just kill somebody outright for a lie? E- even if it is to protect people, like what what yeah. kind of God is is yeah. is good to do that? Uh only a good God would do that. Um and and that is because he's holy. Um, I think when we when we see sin as something according to our scales of like, mm-hmm. I think this is a relatively minor one. I would react this way. We are putting ourselves in the position of God. We're That's saying, good. this is, I'm God. You, the Holy One, now need to learn from me about how to deal with these sins. Um, but also, God's holiness means... Um, that he is entirely other from us. Um, he is not like us in his makeup. He's not like us in who he is as a person. He is not like us in his moral purity. Um, he mm. has the highest, perfect, most inc- most complete standard of purity. All standards of purity are based on him and are based on his complete moral perfection. Hence, yeah. The impossibility of achieving the law, because the law is the the perfect expression of God's heart, of his moral purity playing itself out. Um, Someone with that level of moral purity um, must carry out justice against any sin, because any sin against someone that morally pure is all the more repugnant. Uh, is actually all the more evil, no matter how minor it is. We we can understand this in a different way when we hear about terrible things happening to innocent people, and we think mm. like, oh, how could someone do this? And we think like, oh, well, they just they just lied to a kid, you know? That's all they did. They just deceived a child. We're like, hold on a second, you deceived a child, like you deceived someone we would see as more innocent, of course, a sinner, but someone as as more morally upright pure why would you so a small thing is a lie to someone possibly even more holy child's not always holy but you you follow the analogy's not perfect um we see that as egregious as it is every sin against a holy god is totally egregious and entirely worthy of hell all of it every ounce yeah um every sinful thought i have ever had is entirely due for hell uh, and is entirely d- damning me to hell. The only solution then uh, is that this Jesus has thought perfectly in my place. Yeah, he has never yeah. had any impure thought. Uh, he is the perfect Holy One uh, who has now received the retribution my sin now deserves, and then I can be free in that. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's nope. yeah. That's really good. I it 
it's fascinating here because it reminds me that sin is serious and that God takes sin seriously. Um, in verse five, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And then it goes on to say, and a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. I'd love to dive into that final piece in that verse and a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. My mind immediately went to Proverbs one, where it talks about like the beginning of knowledge, or like the foundation of knowledge is like a fear. What fear are these people experiencing here? Is this a righteous, holy fear of God? Is this a fear of, you know, man, I just can't sin because God is vengeful. Like is the, like the fear here. What is this that the people who witness this are experiencing? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. When, when the Bible, both in old and new Testament is speaking of fear. Um, and specifically, in, we're thinking here of kind of like fear of the Lord. Uh, you mentioned Proverbs. Proverbs is, is littered with the idea of the fear of the Lord. Um, we also see this in the gospels when, uh, the, the disciples see Jesus do something and there's great fear that comes upon them him walking in the water, calming the seas, things like that. The, those descriptions of great fear coming upon people happen in light of God acting as God, right? It, it happens in light of kind of divinity shining through into ordinary events and these people being rightly awestruck with encountering the otherness of God, either in his justice or in uh, his mercy and his grace. Um, so fear then is not kind of what we would associate with anxiety. There's not the same thing happening. It's a good word for it, but it, it's a word that needs to kind of be fleshed out. The fear we're more dealing with here is like the fear I got when I met Derek Jeter for the first time. Now, mm. please tell me both of you know who Derek Jeter is. I've met him. He's a yeah. hockey player, right? He's my favorite yeah. Rays player. You both are horrible people. <laughs> you just are terrible human beings. Um, so he doesn't play for the Rays, my favorite team, the best team in baseball. Go Rays. Let's go. Uh, he played for the Yankees growing up, and I loved Derek Jeter growing up, right? Like, I thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. When I, I got to meet Derek Jeter when I was 15 years old, okay? Mm. When I met Derek Jeter, my hands were sweating more than I can begin to tell you. I felt like Ricky Bobby of like, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> like, I didn't know how to function, right? And yeah. so, like, I'm I'm 15, I'm on a boat, and Derek Jeter's on a boat. How does this happen, right? Like, what's going on? I have to go say hi to Derek Jeter. Of course. Wow. Right. And I, like, stood next to Derek Jeter and said hi to him. My mom got a very blurry picture, and you can't tell it's both of us, right? But I was... <laughs> I was terrified. Why was I terrified in that moment? I wasn't terrified because I was afraid. Who was going to do anything to me? I was terrified because I was overwhelmed by Derek Jeter. I, I was overwhelmed by who he was, how he was, and the place I had of him in my heart. Right there was a place of I'll rightly say idolatry and worship. That's totally fine. Right there. There was a, a deep affection I had for him that overwhelmed into this, this nervousness, this fear that came out. What's happening here is not an anxious fear. It's an overwhelming response, an overwhelming awe at being in the presence of the Holy One, at being in the presence of somebody entirely other. Uh, and that, that's kind of what's happening here. Mm. This is this is more of a question to both of you guys because I'd love to hear your response to this. I'm like, man, do you think we have that kind of heart posture in the church today? Like, 
do you, do you think we're actually in the fear of the Lord? Because I think I look at the whole reason cultural Christianity even exists is because we try to have like the benefits of God, the get out of hell free card without actually having the Lordship and obedience to come with a relationship with Jesus. And like those two things are rooted in the fear of the Lord, that when you understand, understand him as holy and good and other and perfect as like a divine being who then tells you to do something, I'm going to do it because it's God. And like, that's like, even when I mess up, I'm going to run to his grace. And I don't know, even in my heart, like, I don't know if fear of the Lord is like the dominant heart posture that I even fear. So like, do you guys feel like we have that in the church today? Um, man, it's, it's so tough as, as this is actually brings up an, an interesting story. I was preaching a sermon and I basically said something along the lines of like, when we understand how terrible our sin is, we'll begin to like understand how great God is. I sent that to Tyler. Tyler's like, hold on, flip it. Um, it's when you understand how great God is, you'll actually start to understand how terrible your sin is. And yeah. I think, I think that critique actually fits this really well here. It's like we don't have a big enough view of God to be overwhelmed in awe of him. And what happens is, is that we then respond to our sin very similar, similarly to how Ananias did here. It's like we just don't take sin seriously. And it's because we don't have a big picture of God. And so here I'm like, man, this display reminded people of how great God is and how terrible sin is. And I'm like, I think in Western Christianity culture, Christian Bible belt culture, it's like, we do not have a very big view of God. And I think that outworks itself into, we don't truly or or nearly to, to where we could appreciate what he's accomplished for us. And we take sin way, way too lightly and, and that just outworks in all sorts of problems. Um, but Tyler, I'm curious to know what, what you think. Uh, I think you're, I think you're on the money. Um, uh, I would, I think I would only caveat that in that. I think this deep fear of the Lord does exist in the people of God, even in the U S mm. I think it might exist in the places we're not looking yeah. or in the places we're not expecting. Cause even the things you mm. just brought up, Victor, I think some of the reasons we have issues with a lack of fear of God in the U.S., cultural Christianity, however you want to put it, we very easily are drawn to figures. We're drawn to people. We're drawn to mm. celebrities. And so we we very easily, in the American milieu, catch ourselves up in being in awe of people uh, and being huh. experiencing that fear, but towards a person or sets yeah. of people. It's misplaced. It's misplaced. Yeah. And so mm. what we're doing is we're we're putting it towards the, the figure, the person, how everything else. Um, I think though, when you look at global Christianity, what you see is the people of God not having even the opportunity to have that kind of celebrity culture, um, and not even having a place where those sort of men and women can be uplifted. And in response, you see the church in the margins. You see the church is small. You see the church is seen as foolish by the world, but it is Mm. filled with people who are just unbelievably in awe of God And, and they see God carry out his will in ways we couldn't even begin to describe. So this is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm like, I think when you look at global Christianity, I think you're hundred percent right on that title. Like I think there, there's no room for a celebrity pastor, celebrity Christians, because Christianity is so far on the margin. And I'm like, man, like I look at the States and I'm like, 
will Christian celebrity pastors exist in 40 years? Um, and like, is that a bad thing? I'm like, I, I don't know if it's a hundred percent of a bad thing. I would just love to hear y'all's thoughts on that. If I could, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. it could, it could not. I'm, I'm not sure. I think that there have been a lot of stories of the last few years of, uh, just men who have fallen. And I think that's only, I think that's only hurting our witness in the church. And I think that's only making it where it's less likely that we're going to platform people. Um, but who knows that could happen. I think though, that that kind of thing, that kind of like deep awe of God even exists in America, but I think it exists in the most unlikely of places. I think it exists like among like single moms who love the Lord and are just on their face praying. I think it exists amongst like yeah. just 17 year old orphans who love Jesus. I think it exists in like a, a Muslim refugee who just came to the Lord. Like, I think that's who it exists among because God does not care about the spotlight. Yeah. Um, he cares about his name being glorified and he does it in the spaces we would never think to, to, to do it. And so I even think of my own heart, Reagan, you were talking about like sometimes in our own spaces, we don't see these things. I think one of the ways to get my heart to fear of the Lord is to uh, detach myself from yeah. these barriers that my culture has in place. So I have to kind of set myself up relationally in the church to be with men and women who have a deep fear of the Lord that might that might be ostracized in our own churches, right? That, yeah. that might be the people who are not going to get you any social clout, but they have deep fear of God and they can also impress you with the deep fear of God and then also shape you by that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think kind of a great point to turn uh, the ship here and focus really heavily on application as we kind of close. We read this passage in Acts 5. We see it. We've talked about fear of the Lord. We've talked about Ananias. We've, we've talked about all these things. To the person hearing this, to the person that reads this passage tonight before they go to bed, man, how are we to respond to God after reading this passage like like what is the the quote-unquote call to action here like what are we to learn from this passage in our daily life yeah i think if if you're asking all right what, what do we take about about who god is from this um he's holy and he's other and there's a hmm. there's a great good awe that ought to happen when we encounter god so if you're thinking of your own spiritual life uh what happens when you go to the Bible? Um, do you, as you're reading scripture, do you have that moment where the, the sword of the spirit is, is piercing you, right? The, the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's quite, I was in Revelation 2 this morning. It's, it's coming out of our Savior's mouth. It's his very words yeah. it's mm. piercing us. It, does that happen to you? Does, does the word of God pierce you, shape you, form you? That's, a, that's an evidence of there is actually fear of the Lord in your life, of the, the word of God has an effect on you um, and affects how you see him. Uh, I, I would say that. I would also say there's there's incredible communal application here. Um, hmm. Acts 5.11, which is the same repeat of the verse 5 when it talks about great fear coming upon the church in these events. Um, verse 11 is the first time that Luke uses the word church in the book of Acts. It's the first hmm. time he says the church, right? So there's a communal thing happening here of I not only want the fear of God to happen amongst my own heart, but amongst the people I'm with, um, amongst the people of God that I, I love and serve. So 
I would yeah. say those things. Uh, one more thing that just came to mind. I'm sorry, Reagan, if you got one. Um, no. Verse three and four, the deity deity is ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, the Holy Spirit is not a redheaded stepchild uh, of the Trinity. Amen. Right? Amen. Like the like lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God because he's yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in your own heart in life, there is a um, there's a beauty of existing in the relational dance with the Holy Spirit um, as he moves you, shapes you, leads you. Um, are, are you submitting to the Spirit in your life? Come is on. the Spirit of God able to have free reign in your life uh, to convict you, to shape you, to challenge you, to form you? Um, and yeah. does that then carry out to the body from there? So those are yeah. a few things I think of. Man, I love that you just called the Holy Spirit a relational dance. I, I love that because it does take two to tango and you may have the Holy Spirit, but like, are you submitting to him? Are you quenching him? Like there's a lot of Christians that have the Holy Spirit tied up in the trunk of the back of their car that yeah. wonder why their life has no power that wonder why there's like the fruits of the spirit. Like, man, I love that you said that right there. Um, last question. I kind of want to end with this, man. I know that there are a lot of adults that are listening to this podcast. I know there are students that are listening to this podcast, the men that come to their Bible in the morning. And I'm just like time after time, after time they're, they're being faithful. They're there. But just like the words, like when you say the, the Bible is like, is it piercing you? Like it hasn't been like that in a while and it's, it's just not doing what it used to. Man, like how do you, how does the Bible do that in our lives? How does it go from just being a book to being like the living active word of God in our lives? Yeah. Um, what I'm about to say is not original. Donald Whitney, uh, he wrote a book um, called uh, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life uh, and he he emphasizes that for most Christians, one of the steps missing is uh, meditation. Um, that we can very easily read the Bible and then think about mm. just doing the Bible uh, rather than just sitting in it and letting it wash over us. Um, the design of the Bible is not just to be a like spit factor of information. It's, it's not intended to do that. As much as I love systematic theology, the Bible is not intended to be a systematic theology. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's intended to be a, a book that you revisit again and again and again because it actually forms you as you engage with it. So I think to that person, I'd encourage first pray um, before you open your Bible, ask for help. Like just ask for help. Lord, I need help. Help me yeah. here. I, do, I want to see you. I need to see you. Hey, there's not even part of me that doesn't want to see you, right? Like yeah. help me. I need help. And then after you ask the Lord for help, walk in faith that he's going to trust you or that he's going to help you. Trust him that he's going to help you. Open yeah. the word, read, and sit. Pick a chapter. This is uh, there's When I tell people in my life like who are wanting to go back in the scriptures and they're like, I don't know where to start. I'm like, just pick a chapter. It's okay. Yeah. You don't have to read a whole book. Do one chapter. And you know if that's too much? Do a paragraph. If that's yeah. too much, do a sentence uh, and just sit with it and let it shape you for a little bit. Don't feel like you got to rush to anything. Um, and I am convinced that if you do that, you will leave there having just encountered God by his word and then be in awe of him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the thought I have on it. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. I also think, man, in just like going back to consumeristic, you know, like cultural Christianity, there is this expectation I think that we unfairly have of we open the Bible, we we read it, we feel like this this like sense of joy or like fulfillment, and then like we're energized to go about our day. And I think we 
I think we miss the fact that the that the word of God is sh- like the Holy Spirit through the word of God is shaping us over the course of years, decades, lifetimes. Right. And so it's like, man, I may not feel like reading the word this week, but like, who am I to discredit the longevity, the work of the spirit in my life and in the people's lives around me. So it's like, I don't know. I, I always think we look for that instant gratification Christianity that if I just spend five minutes in my daily reading plan, I'll feel energized to go live the Christian life. And it's like, man, the Holy Spirit works over time. We've seen it in scripture over generations. Go back, listen to that episode. 400 years of silence. Like the spirit takes the time that the spirit wants to. And we have to be willing to like surrender to that in a lot of ways. Um, Tyler. Man, thanks for joining us today on Sanctified-ish. One last time, 15-minute theology drops in like two weeks. Do you have a yeah, date? Dude. What's the date? June 15th. June, June 15th. 15th. Yeah, I have a lot of things to do. I have a lot of things to do, <laughs> but it's happening. But it'll be out. It'll be out. It'll be out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Check it out. June 15th, 15-minute theology. You can find the links to all that good stuff in the show notes guys thank you so much for tuning in today you can find reagan on social media at reagan jones 97 you can find me on social media at rots of 157 and tyler 15 minute theology social media yeah actually you're right it's uh i think it's just at 15 minute theology at one five minute theology man good for you that's a big step that's a big step reagan if you look at tyler does he seem like a social media guy Is he, Not in the slightest. He, I got a text. he brews his own coffee. <laughs> I got a text a couple weeks ago. I was like, Victor, yeah. I have an Instagram. It's true. <laughs> I do. I do. I had somebody today I make fun it. of me for my Instagram posture. My wife, I consistently ask my <laughs> wife what to do on Instagram, and she tells me what not to do more often than not. There, Amen. There you go. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. We will catch you guys in the next one. If you have questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at sanctifiedish at gmail.com. We'd love to chat with you. Send us an email, questions. Yeah. Flood that inbox. We'd love to talk to you guys. We will catch y'all in the next one. Until then, take care. And God bless. Dude, has your 3D printer been on this entire episode? Nope. It hasn't. Then your AC is so loud. It's not me. (laughs) That's Tyler. Is that my fan? I tried to fix it. And it's Tyler. You just insulted our guest. I've literally been thinking I have a... You you told me it wasn't that bad. It's not that bad. I I can fix it. I've been thinking in the last 20 minutes, man, his 3D printer's on again, and I'm going to yell at him. Hold on. Look at (laughs) it. Turn your camera. It is off. (laughs) Tyler, turning it off now is not, I'm sorry. You told me. Now you're shaming me to turn it off. Oh, look at the Lord. It's so much better. Now Um, you're shaming our guests. Look what you've done, man. (laughs) When you started saying uh, help, like pray the Lord, ask for help, I was like, help, I need somebody. <laughs> you saw a little smirk? That's what that was. I'm sorry. All right, oh, this is man. this outro is crazy. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>